everyone. Badass Women in History is excited to announce a really cool partnership with Andy Hansen, an esthetician local to Duluth, Minnesota. Andy provides vegan, non-toxic, cruelty-free, all-natural beauty services such as waxing, eyelash extensions, and eyebrow tinting. Andy takes clients by appointment only and can be reached at 218-461-7792. Again, that's 218-461-7792. In addition to those services, she has her own small business called Mindful Practice. With Mindful Practice, Andy researches new green beauty products, helps other companies build their internet presence, and does collaborations and trades to reach her goal of bringing awareness to the beauty world. Through Mindful Practice, Andy partners and collaborates with another green beauty specialist and an esthetician named Andrea. Andrea owns the Organic Escape Skin Studio in Carlsbad, California. Together, these women have come up with an online green beauty store and blog where they are constantly researching and trying new brands to have the best possible ingredient list on their cyber, cyber shelves. Shop their online store and read more about the best ways to practice green beauty at theorganicescape.com. Again, that's theorganicescape.com. Karis and I are really happy to promote these amazing women-run small businesses. We've gotten our eyelashes and eyebrows done by Andy and skincare products from the Organic Escape the past few months, and it's all amazing. Self-care is something that is really crucial for self-preservation, and so if your methods of self-care are along the lines of beauty treatments and products, treat yourself. If you book a service with Andy, mention something you learned on the podcast and you'll receive 10% off your first service with her. In addition, use the promo code MINDFUL to receive 10% off your order from theorganicescape.com. Find more on these businesses and badass women by following their social media accounts at mindfulpractice underscore and at the Organic Escape Skin Studio. Hi. <laughs> Notice anything different? What? We're, we're going to actually edit in our music. I'm, I'm talking to the listeners. Oh, yeah. Notice anything <laughs> different. Karis and Kaylee learned how to use Audacity correctly. Yeah, we're editing our music, and we have our ad from Mindful Practice and the Organic Escape pre-recorded. And we have an end cap. Yes. Look at us. Which you haven't heard yet. A new, new year. New year, new me, new podcast. Same, Same podcast. Me. Same me. New me. New year, new parts of the podcast, same me. Same me. Maybe in 2019 I'll learn how to do my makeup without having a fucking foundation okay, line. Okay, but show me is where. Oh, girl, I, like, licked a Kleenex. <laughs> I licked a Kleenex in my car yeah. and, like, looked in the mirror and I just, like, scrubbed before I came in. Amazing. It was so bad. It wasn't <laughs> even, like, a rounded, like, thing, you know? Yeah. How sometimes you just get it, like, on your jawbone. It was, like, the middle of my neck from, like, my brush and it was, like, Lines. It looked like, like I I was painting. Amazing. <laughs> so bad. Oh my god. Okay. Anyway, welcome to Badass Women in History. I'm Karis. I'm Kaylee. Uh, and we're gonna talk about some current events going on. So oh, before we talk about the current events, I just want to say if oh, you yeah. requested stickers from us via the mail, um, I know a few of you have asked me for stickers, and you live out of town, so I can't give them to you in person, but I am working on it. I haven't forgot, and I will get them to you by the end of the week. Woo! Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so, okay, well, I have two things. One quick thing that I already sent to you, because I saved it, like, sometime this past week from the BBC. 
Um, I'm sorry, could you not pour bubbles? <laughs> yes. The iced coffee that I oh, made? Okay. Um, so, South African police hunt um, rapist and uh, with bitten penis. <laughs> <laughs> Some badass woman in South Africa was, I believe, pregnant, and as he was assaulting her, she managed to bite his genitals as he assaulted her in front of her child. Um, and she she bit it off. I don't think she bit it off, but she I think bit it bad enough that he should have to go to the hospital. Um, and so they were able to put out a call to like all the hospitals in the area and beyond, and was like, if a man comes in, is like, hey, I have a hole in my penis, <laughs> lock him up. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Um. Yeah, so I just thought that was really cool. I don't think that there's been at least anything that I've seen that was like a follow-up to this. At least not on the BBC, but I thought that was pretty fucking rad. And then, um... Yeah, well, I, I guess I don't really know what your... What is your current event? Is it the thing that I was going to talk about? It, it will go off of it. It'll okay. Go. We can talk about so it together. I feel like we should talk about the Aziz Ansari thing. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I would like to say that I called it two months ago. Oh, really? Well, I remember, I don't know if I told you, but I remember I was texting some friends when the stuff about Louis C.K. came out, Mm -hmm. and how Louis C.K.'s manager tried to cover up some of the stuff. Oh, shit. And it's the same manager, right? Or the same lawyer that they have? Yeah, they have, like, shared, like, PR people or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And Aziz didn't really say anything about it. He didn't, like, release a statement. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I wonder if he's not saying anything because he has some shit that he doesn't want to get uncovered. So. So, uh, if you haven't read the article, it was uh, about a girl who went on a date with him. Um, She met him. Um, at, an at, an award, at an event or a work show post party or something, something along those lines. And, um, yeah, so they went on a date. Um, she didn't really like the date itself as mm-hmm. well. I remember there was a line that, you know, they had white wine, even though she liked red because he was just ordering the food. Mm-hmm. And then when they were done eating, he was just like, okay, we're done eating. And she, like, still had wine in her glass and stuff like that. So the date itself was pretty sucky, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it sounds like she she did not just, like, have a nice time on the date, but... In the first place. Yeah. So then they go back to his apartment and she said, like, oh, I like your kitchen counter or something. She had, like, a marble or granite countertop. Mm-hmm. And then, so he, he has her get up on there and starts kissing her. And she gives him nonverbal cues that she's like, hey, don't want to, you know... Go any further. Go any further than this. He's naked at that point. I think she he had undressed her as well, mm-hmm. and he just kept persisting and like literally wouldn't stop and wouldn't take any nonverbal cues or any oh no, not really the not right now, maybe next time. She would like move across the room to a different like couch to yeah. sit. Or like and she he kept like, you know, grabbing her hand and trying to like you know, bring it towards him, and she would be like, "Mm." she would keep pulling her hand back, and any normal person would be like, "Mm, don't really think they're comfortable with this. Like, yeah, the way she describes it is, like, the nonverbal cue, she doesn't outright say, like, 
no, I want this to be over, stop. But the what she's saying is, like, stuff that I she's think... She's never said yes. In, in no way mm-hmm. did she ever give any indication that she was into it, that she wanted to continue. And it resonates with, like, so many women who have had experiences, like, with, a, like, a person who just, like completely disregards, like, whether they're into, like, the sexual experience. There was one tweet that I retweeted because I really liked it. It was by Melinda Taub. T-A-U-B is her last name. She said, I feel like this will get lost in the convo about Aziz Ansari did sexual assault, but that feeling when you shut down and stop responding and the guy keeps going and you realize that he doesn't care if you're in your body or not, it's awful, too. Yeah. And I super resonated with that. I also resonated with the whole cat. I kind of connected a little bit with the cat person that came I out. connected it with the cat person because there Story was... too. There was one piece, there was one or two lines in cat person that was like, she went home with him, he was like getting undressed, but he was a little tipsy, and he mm-hmm. was taking off his pants, but then realized that he hadn't taken his shoes off, so he like leans over to take his shoes off, and she's laying there, she's like, in her head thinks like, I'm... I don't really want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're at that point where she doesn't feel comfortable enough to stop. And, like, go home. And, like, go home or say, like, mm, never mind. Yeah, because you're at, she's at his house. I'm pretty sure in the story they drove together. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a while, it's been a while since I read it. Because I read that during, like, finals week. But Yeah, that was a long time ago. That, the whole, I've totally been in that situation where I you just leave your body. Because you yeah. can't. You can't say no because you don't know what's going to happen if you say no mm-hmm. I, outright, but I, you, you don't want to. Right. I retweeted this tweet. Um, it's at Geeky Lindsay. It says, dudes, I want to clarify something for you here. When a woman gives you a soft no, like, I don't think so, not right now, maybe later, etc., and you keep going and she doesn't do anything. She's protecting herself from rising violence if she gives you a hard no. Stop. No. This goes for many interactions, including sexual ones. This isn't a mixed message. You're ignoring the clear message you got. Like, we're supposed to speak to you, like, softly to, to not get boundaries. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Your behavior is clearly shifted to, I'm going to get my way. Mm-hmm. Change your idea to consent. Change your idea of consent to an enthusiastic consent everywhere of your life. Yeah. Not no is no longer a de facto yes. You're nonviolent. She should say something. She did. Like. Yeah. Yes mean, which is why yes means yes is so important. Instead of just no no means no. no. Because no also means no, but no no isn't a yes. Right. No no. No no. No no. Um. But yeah, so I really resonated with that whole situation as well, and I feel like that's something that pretty much every woman can resonate with, Mm -hmm. really, like, has pretty much probably had that exact experience. Yeah. And on top of that experience as well is the fact that he is Aziz Ansari. Who's, like, a notorious, like, soft boy in Hollywood. Yeah. Like... Made a whole Netflix show. Award-winning Netflix show. Yeah, two seasons, third season coming about being the good guy. Yeah, I fucking love Master of None. I'm really disappointed. Uh, 
Some people have tweeted some stuff about, like, if you actually examine some of his stand-up, he does, like, sound feminist on the surface, but he ends up making, like, women's struggles, like, about him in his routine to, like, get laughs. Oh, so yeah, that's I can very, see that. very interesting. Um, but, yeah, that is, it's just real, real crazy. And his, like, response to the situation was, like, yeah. I just misread your signals. Yeah. I'm sorry. And... It is just really shitty that, like, there's just so much, like, fake allyship, not just in Hollywood, but just Hollywood, it's more pronounced when, like, these allegations can get out because these people are famous, you know? Yeah. Like, how many people wore Time's Up buttons at the Golden Globes? Like, Aziz did. Yeah. James Franco did. Yeah. Yeah. Fake allyship and the performative activism has got to stop. I read a tweet somewhere that was, like, if this shit with Harvey Weinstein would have never been uncovered, he probably would have been at the Golden Globes wearing a Time's Up button. Probably. So, yeah. It's awful. So, yeah. So, what did you want to <laughs> talk about? My um, current event is kind of goes in conjecture with the Time's Up, but more so Me Too. So, um, my... We're going back to Rose McGowan again. Oh, goodness. Okay. Because ever since I talked about her back in, like, the fall, just more and more things have come up, and I'm just kind of like, I can't just, like, leave Not. what I said and had. Like, I, if you hadn't listened to previous episodes, I think it might have been, like, episode five, six. I feel like it's more in, like, the six or seven. Where I talked about Rose McGowan as my badass woman. Um, because it was right when Me Too had right, started. Right, literally, like, like <gasps> the day or yeah, two before. Right, yeah. So, I feel like just leaving it at that is not right of me, so I'm gonna expand a little more on it. Um, my current event is about how Rose McGowan has a new, um, entertainment network special about the Me Too movement. The special will be a two-part documentary based off of Rose McGowan's activism with the premiere on January 30th. Again, that's on the E! Network. Um, Rose also has a hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Rose Army, and is releasing a book called Brave. I chose this because I um, kind of just want to voice some cynicism here because last fall I talked about how, like, proud I was of Rose McGowan for speaking out about sexual harassment and abuse in Hollywood, specifically at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. Um, however, my main focus is going to be how it seems like um, Rose McGowan has really, like, co-opted this Me Too movement for her own, like, publicity and to... Probably not intentionally, but, like, it's erasing, like, the black narrative, like, basically white women do all the time is... yeah release the black woman's narrative, um, and the fact that, like, Rose McGowan is getting this special is just kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm gonna watch it because I want to, like, just see what it's all about, Yeah, but I don't know, it's not good. Ever since I talked about Rose McGowan, um, as my main podcast in the fall, I've just felt a little unsettled, honestly, um, like, the, the day after, right? The we day after. You were, like, you texted me and you were, like, shit. Yeah, because, like, she is doing a lot of good and stuff. She's speaking up and she's going to conferences and stuff. But just, I didn't feel, I've never felt that, like, 
Rose McGowan has been as up to par with some of the other women that I've talked about. Yeah. I've just felt kind of weird about it. I mean, and I've even, like, talked about Courtney Love. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I, I've just never felt that Rose McGowan was, like, after that, the next day, I was just, like, she wasn't quite up to my standards. I think I just chose her because of, like, the current events going on. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she's human, and they aren't perfect, and feminism isn't easy. Feminism is like this onion that you can just never stop peeling back, especially when it's intersectional. And honestly, when I fir- when we first started this podcast, I th- really thought it would be easy to keep this environment of, like, positive learning, and, like, we would be, like, really upbeat all the time, <laughs> and now it's just like, oh, that was kind of naive. Yeah. Um... So, I feel like we've done a pretty decent job of educating our listeners, but it has gotten really tough to remain positive and upbeat because just, like, feminism isn't easy. And so, even months later, I am feeling pretty weird about giving Rose McGowan such a big spotlight on the podcast when I know there are so many other women, specifically women of color, who have had their movements and ideas co-opted. And... While I feel it's important for white women to use their privilege, I don't feel like Rose McGowan has done an appropriate job amplifying the women of color responsible for her gaining all the publicity she's gotten. Where are their TV shows and books and movies? How many people know that the hashtag MeToo movement wasn't created by Alyssa Milano or Rose McGowan, but it was actually created years ago in 2006 by an activist named Tarana Bjork, who's black and from Queens. So, with that being said, my badass woman for this episode is Tarana Bjork, the original creator of the Me Too movement back in 2006. So, yeah, yeah, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll start back up in a second on Tarana Bjork. Amazing. So, getting back to Tarana Burke, she is an activist and director, nice, <laughs> of the nonprofit organization called Girls for Gender Equity in Brooklyn, New York. She's most well known for starting the Me Too movement in 2006, but back then it was more of a grassroots movement, and she was hoping that maybe, like, one day it would be maybe on, like, a bumper sticker or something, and not, like... The biggest thing to happen. In 2017. Yeah. Just, or, pff, I mean, it's been fucking huge. Like, yeah, it's taken okay. down a lot of people for the right reasons. And um, so she specifically works for helping victims of sexual assault, especially um, victims who are people of color in marginalized communities. Um, she's worked in Queens and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just to name a few locations. So, growing up in Queens, Tarana says that the neighborhood she lived in was mostly comprised of older boys, and she usually played with the boys, but one day they ganged up on her um, and, like, tackled her and pinned her down and ripped her shirt. 
um, attempting to assault her. She got away, but she remembers her mom telling her that she should have known better playing with all the boys. She also remembers in 1997 when she was talking to a victim of sexual assault at the hands of her mother's boyfriend and wishing she could say something more to comfort her. Something like, me too. This encounter and others like it made her create um, an organization called Just Be Incorporated, an organization that promotes the well-being of women of color. And that was in 2006, and that's when she started, like, Me Too. Mm -hmm. Um, She posted it on her Twitter, but back then her Twitter had, like, 500 followers, and not a lot of people, like, Mm -hmm. used the hashtag or anything. Um, And so, actually, when Alyssa Milano tweeted about the Me Too campaign, she didn't even know about Toronto Burke starting the movement over 10 years earlier. But within 24 hours, the hashtag had been used on Twitter 825,000 times, and on Facebook... Um, 4.7 million people had used it in 12 million posts. However, within two days, Alyssa Milano had gone on Good Morning America to credit Tarana Burke. Um, Bjork has said that Milano has been really gracious and that the movement isn't actually, like, hers per se. She says it's something she wants victims to be in control of, you know? Yeah. But still cool that Alyssa Milano didn't, like, take it and run kind of thing as well. Right, Um, she says, like, she made this movement and she this movement is bigger than just like she is like it's not just her thing she did it to like bring victims together mm-hmm. because a lot of times you just hear about like how shitty these like predators are mm-hmm. which i mean it's important that people know but also you hear a lot less about like victim survivors standing together so it's i mean Everybody knows how powerful it is. Like, yeah. I don't need to talk it up. No, um, not at all. But, like, <laughs> it, it really is something special that she created. And so, currently, Bjork organizes workshops to teach for survivors of sexual assault that their assault was not their fault no matter what they were and wore, no matter what they did. Um, and you might have recognized her as Michelle Williams' plus one to the Golden Globes. And she specifically, like, told Michelle that when she was invited that she just, like, didn't want to be, like, the designated, like, black activist on her arm. And Michelle was like, no, it's not like that at all. Yeah. I mean, I know eight um, very, like, well-known, prominent activists were brought as, like, um, actresses plus ones to the Golden Globes, like, uh, Jessica Chastain, I think, brought some people and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was very powerful to see that. If you didn't watch the Golden Globes, you should um, check out a replay um, just to see some of the um, actresses who brought the activists. Also to see some of the like commentary. Also, like Deborah Messing flat out calling E News out on their like <laughs> gender. Uh, inequality when it comes to salaries and so that's pretty powerful a lot of people talk a lot about Oprah's speech when she was given her award um or when Natalie Portman like was like here's the list of all male directors and then all the dude directors faces were just like I loved it me and Asher were like Natalie (laughs) 
Anyway, getting back to Toronto Burke, though, she um, also, this is something to keep an eye on her for. Mm-hmm. So she got an invitation to the uh, State of the Union address this year because a member of California Congress wants her to, like, be her plus one. Nice. So that is uh, pretty big considering who's going to be giving that State of the Union address. And I think there are about... There are over 10 accusations against him, maybe getting closer to 20. It's fucking wild. So bad. Yes, but that is Tirana Bjork, and I am very excited for the future of her work and activism. She's definitely someone to watch, and I mean, technically, she was, like, Time's Person of the Year, you know, the Mm -hmm. Silence Breakers. Mm -hmm. So, yes, pretty big deal. There are a lot of good YouTube videos and um, newspaper interviews yeah. with her also. Yay. I'm excited. I like that one. Me too. Probably nice. one of my faves. Okay, so mine is, and I should get closer to the mic probably, mine uh, this week is Vera Rubin. Do you not know who she is? Settle on in, children. Can't wait. They got me blinky. <laughs> so Vera Rubin was born Vera Florence Cooper on July 23rd, 1928 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she was the younger of two sisters and her parents were Jewish immigrants. Um, her dad was Philip Cooper and her mom was Rose Applebaum Cooper. And her dad was actually originally born in Lithuania. And they moved to D.C. in 1938. And when she was 10... Vera developed an interest in astronomy and watching the stars from her windows. She actually built a telescope out of cardboard with her dad, and she began to track and observe meteors. And she attended Coolidge Senior High School and graduated in 1944. Her older sister eventually became administrative law judge in the U.S. uh, Department of Defense. She was inspired to pursue an undergrad education at the currently all-women's school Vassar College. Uh, and she ignored advice from a high school science teacher to avoid a scientific career and become an artist. She got her bachelor's degree in astronomy in 1948, the only graduate in astronomy that year. And she was a woman. Uh, She attempted to enroll in a graduate program at Princeton, but she was barred due to her gender. Princeton would not accept women as an astronomy graduate student for more than 27 years. Princeton fucking lost out because... They turned on Vera Rubin. Uh, she was also turned. She turned down an offer from Harvard due to her husband's uh, position as a grad student in Cornell. So she decided to go to Cornell and earned her master's degree in 1951. During her graduate studies, she studied the motion of the 109 galaxies and made one of the first observations of deviations from the Hubble flow, which is how galaxies move apart from one another. And she worked as- with astronomer Martha. Astronomer Martha Carpenter on galactic dynamics and studied under Philip Morrison, Hans Beth, and Richard Feynman. Um, Though the conclusion that she came to, that there was orbital motion of galaxies around a particular pole, was disproven, the idea that galaxies were moving held true and sparked further research. Her research also provided early evidence of the supergalactic plane. This information and the data that she discovered was immensely controversial, and after fighting to be allowed to present her work at the American Astronomical Society, despite being pregnant, she was summarily rejected and the paper forgotten. 
She studied for her PhD at Georgetown University, the only university in Washington, D.C. that offered a graduate degree in astronomy. She was 23 years old and pregnant whilst studying her PhD. Uh, and she began, began her doctoral studies, and the Rubens had one child at home. She began to take classes with Frances Hayden, who recommended her to Ger George Gamow, her eventual doctoral advisor, and her dis dissertation, she completed in 1954, concluded that galaxies clumped together rather than being randomly distributed through the universe, a controversial idea that was not pursued for two other decades, by others for two decades. Throughout her graduate studies, she experienced discouraging sexism, including an incident where she was not allowed to meet with her advisor in his office because women were not allowed in that area of the university. Which. Okay. She held various academic appointments for the next 11 years, serving as an instructor for the mathematics and physics at Montgomery County Community College, then worked at Georgetown University as a research associate astronomer and a lecturer and then an assistant professor of astronomy. She joined the Carnegie Institute in 1965 as a staff member of the Department of Terrestrial Magnetism, and she met her longtime collaborator and instrument maker, Kent Ford. She had two children by then, so she actually worked from home a lot at that point. In 1963, she had a year-long collaboration during which she made her first observations of the rotation of galaxies at the McDonald Observatory's 82-inch telescope, and during her work at Carnegie, she applied... Uh, to observe the Polymer observa Observatory in 1965, despite the fact that the building did not have facilities for women. <laughs> they, literally, they literally didn't have women's bathrooms. She created her own women's restroom, <laughs> sidestepping the lack of facilities available for her and became the first female astronomer to observe there. At Carnegie, uh, she began working related to her controversial thesis regarding galaxy clusters, making hundreds of observations using their Ford's image tube spectrograph. The instrument allowed Rubin to amplify starlight seen through the telescope so they could view astronomical objects that were previously too dim to see. Um, the Rubin-Ford effect, an apparent anastropy in the expansion of the universe on the scale of 100 million light years, was discovered through spiral galaxies, particularly the Andromeda galaxy. There's a lot of big words. I don't do science. I know, I'm just loving this. So, <laughs> wishing to avoid controversial areas of astronomy, including quasars and galactic motion, Rubin began to study the rotation and outer reaches of galaxies, an interest sparked by her collaboration with Bur Burbages. She investigated the rotation curves of spiral galaxies, again with beginning with Andromeda, by looking to the outermost material and observed flat rotation curves, um, the outermost components of galaxies as they were moving close to the center. This was an early indication that spiral galaxies were surrounded by dark matter halos. She further uncovered the discrepancy between angular motion of galaxies based on visible light and observed motion. Her research showed that spiral galaxies quick rotate quickly enough that they should fly apart. If the gravity of their constituent stars was all that was holding them together because they stay intact, a large amount of unmassed scene must be holding them together, a conundrum that became known as the galaxy rotation problem. So her big legacy is that she was essentially the person to discover dark matter. Yeah, wow. Um, which wasn't pursued by anybody else, I think, for like two decades more. 
but she was the person who uncovered it um, and started studying the galactic rotation curves. She started, it sounds like she started, like, figuring out dark matter when she was, like, our age. Oh, yeah, no, she was, like, in her, like, early 30s by then, like, by the the time time that she was doing that. And she got her PhD when she was still in her early 20s. That's fucking insane. And she had two kids. Farah Rubin? Farah Rubin. Wow. Where'd you find out about her? I think I saw some article about her on Facebook, and I I take down names whenever I, like, hear somebody's name. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she recently died in the end of 2016. On Christmas. And her perspective of the history on the work of galaxies was presented in a review, 100 Years of Rotating Galaxies, for the publications of Astronomical Society of the Pacific in 2000. And it was an adaptation of the lecture that she gave in 1996. She was she received the gold medal of royal gold medal of the Royal Astronomical Society as the second woman to be honored, 168 years after Karen Herschel received the medal in 1828. She continued her research research and mentorship until her death in 19 in 2016. Wow. She never won the Nobel Prize, but physicists. Um, have argued that this was an oversight. Um, and she was one of the astronomer- astronomers that paved the way for other women in the field of the guiding light for those who wish to have families and careers in astronomy. I love her. Yeah, she was pretty fucking cool. So, yeah. I like that one. I like changing it up a little bit and you yeah. doing the scientist. The scientist. <laughs> But yeah, so I thought she was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I never heard of her. Awesome. Well, that was Badass Woman in History. We're back from hiatus. Happy to be here. Every, every other week again. Yes, every other week. Uh... Typically on Sundays, but today's going to be Monday. <laughs> Upload. Yeah, we're here. We both started our last semester of undergrad, Karis got into her first choice grad school. I got a new job at the Natural Resources Research Institute, and it doesn't suck. I like it a lot. I'm very happy. It works in your, you're working in your field. I'm working in my field. Which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty lucky. We're both doing pretty okay lately. Yeah. We're happy you're here. (laughs) So, hopefully you like the way that the podcast is going to be edited from here on out. Yeah. We're excited. I'm excited. If you like it, let us know. Yeah. Encourage us. Please. (laughs) I always would like a little bit. So, yeah, we'll talk to you the week after next. Yes. Happy 2018. Bye-bye. Bye. Badass Woman in History is a production created, produced, and edited by me, Karis Jeffrey, and co-hosted with Kaylee Krogstad. Our cover art is by Madison Worcester, and our theme is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, and check us out on Twitter, at Charismatics and at Straight Out of Flake with an 8. And we'll see you guys next time.